Hey everyone, Charles here. Just wanted to give you a brief heads up before today's episode. Our recording went a little long <laughs> this time, like an hour too long. So instead of making you all listen to a two hour episode, today's episode has been split into two chunks, each an hour long. So it's going to end somewhat abruptly around the hour mark, just to let you know. But tune in next week for the second part of the episode. Thanks. Enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Order of Initiative. This is a Dungeons & Dragons podcast where me and my friends talk about DMing and everything you could want to know about running your game. I'm Charles, and with me today I have Nathan. Hello, hello. And Tori. Hello. Today, we're talking about our house rules. But before we get into it, we're going to roll initiative to see who goes first. Oh god, that went crazy. <laughs> oh, I rolled no. it to the left side of my desk and it ended up on the floor on the right side. What the fuck? <laughs> Did you get a one, Tori? Yeah, I crit failed. <laughs> mm. That's a five. Dang. Mm. We suck, y'all. But I think I got the highest with a ten, so. <laughs> whoop, whoop. <laughs> Has this ever happened to you? You're playing D&D, oh &D, and you roll for initiative, and you get a natural 20, and go, ah, a wasted natural 20. Well, don't worry anymore, because with Charles Patented, I don't have a <laughs> concise name for this rule. Basically, um, if you roll a natural 20 on initiative, you get advantage on the first action you take that has an applicable advantage oh. um, for that round. I, like I have that. had so I've seen so many rounds of combat where players go, oh, I wasted that that natural twenty, and I just I uh, there's a flip side to this where if you get a natural one, you have disadvantage on the first applicable action, mm. so it's it's a bit of a risk reward, um, but I just flavor it as someone being like really aware, right? Maybe they, their character was on the edge and waiting for a fight to break out, so they immediately like start sprinting as soon as the fight kicks off, or. Yeah. They get like they're like flat footed or they like trip and stumble as soon as the fight breaks out. Um, I just like the idea that like those roles aren't wasted, even though I don't know if I buy into wasted roles. But I've just seen so many players get disheartened that the natural 20 didn't mean anything that I figured, hey, you do get advantage uh, on your first attack this round because you rolled a natural 20. You're very alert. Yeah, I kind of like that. I, I think I'm with you on the not really buying into wasted roles thing. Like it's a. Um, the, 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 the 20, uh, still meaning you know, sort of like auto success. You're going first, very likely it's mm -hmm. still doing something for you. But I, I have seen a lot of players get really bummed about that. God, it's gonna, gonna turn mm -hmm. that into a critical hit mm -hmm. so that I, I could, I could, I could, I could roll with that. If I have enough players that are just generally upset with that, I'm not sure I'm cool with the other way around the, yeah, the natural one to disadvantage for reasons I'll talk to, talk about later, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but like I, I think in general like I like the spirit of the rule I think it's cool yeah yeah I, I, I wouldn't be heartbroken if I took away the uh, the disadvantage thing um, and I do like the the risk reward factor but obviously the, the more appealing aspect is getting advantage potentially because mm -hmm. I want the players to feel good um, oh, I don't want them to feel bad as much because I mean it doesn't hurt me to um, you know put this rule and give them an advantage or disadvantage on things but um, you know, that, that one special advantage role of player, it means the world to him. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree with, uh, I agree with Nathan. 
Um, my opinion on it is you cannot crit fail skill checks, and I believe initiative is a skill check. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why I wouldn't take away or I wouldn't give them disadvantage on their first turn in combat. That's fair. But that 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 is literally one of my home rules is you cannot crit fail a skill check. I think that's a raw, raw Is that a raw anyway, rule, isn't it? I'm pretty sure. Okay. I know some DMs, could... oh, maybe it's a house rule for them that they allow crit fails on skill checks. Uh you crit fail with your thieves tools, your lock picks break. Um I hate that. I hate that yeah, so that's, much. It's just kind of lame. <laughs> For Especially me, it like just if takes longer. Yeah, if you're meant to be someone who's proficient enough with lockpicks that you carry them on you and you are the go-to lockpicker, it seems weird that you could just break them and then you're just fucked. Yeah. It's not, a, it's not like a cool moment. It's just a inconvenience. Yeah, that's sort of... I, I used to be in the camp of... Um, actually, I, I, I should note, I, I still do kind of do crit fails. Um, a one is an automatic failure at my table, sort of just regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, for skill checks too. For skill checks too. Mm. Uh, I know. I know it can be a little shitty with the you know five percent to all, to fail at something at any given time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think I I can't be expected to keep track of every single one of your skill check bonuses um, at any given time uh, for 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 literally everything and. If you roll a one and it's still a success on something, then why are we rolling? And I, I think a good way to just solve that is you know you roll a one, it doesn't work, uh, and most of the time that doesn't come into play. Uh, I mean, most of the time that is not something that. Oh well, you could just try again. Um, mm-hmm. But in in what I usually do is in that case, it's not the player's fault. Uh, if it's an attack roll, uh, the the opponent did something tricky by d- to dodge it or was prepared for a parry or something, mm-hmm. and you know failure is still a possibility for a skill check. Maybe that unforeseen circumstances occurred. Um, yeah, that's more interesting than the character just fucking up when they're meant to be skilled. It, like on one hand, it adds tension by making the enemy seem more threatening, and the other option is like if the character is fucking up, that's not like. I don't know, it's not a cool or memorable moment. You just kind of feel awkward, you know? Yeah, and it and it sort of always has that chance of failure, which mm-hmm. I think is important because if there's no chance of failure, I'm not going to have you roll. But I don't know if you've got a plus 14 to your skill check. <laughs> what about, okay, so my thing is, what if you have expertise and that one becomes a 10? Like, uh, I have a couple of characters that have plus nines to things. Mm-hmm. Um, 10 is average. So that that's my question, and then also like with with Strahd, uh, Charles, you've watched my character <laughs> Renegade turn a fail into a nineteen. Your well, the way your character is set up, the minimum you can roll on a persuasion check is nineteen. Yes. However, if I roll disgusting. a crit fail, is it still a crit fail? If I rolled a one on that, would you still ex- would you ex- accept my my silver tongue? Nathan at your table or would you make me take the fail? I would I would if it's if it's a if it's a natural roll of a one, I would probably make you take the fail. Mm. But but it would be for it would not be because you made a mistake in in, you know, talking. You you did the best you absolutely could uh in the circumstance. Yeah. But something f- from the opposite party or maybe some somebody came and interrupted in the middle of your speech and something happened okay. or the person uh-huh. you're trying to convince is just obstinate. 
that would that would chap my ass at your table just so you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I i uh i think it's important to have that chance of failure even in stuff that you're incredible at i, I and uh but i also don't want to i guess make players feel stupid because they hit a five percent and that's yeah. one reason that and i was actually near to this um um, a bit earlier that I I I used to be in the camp that a natural one meant you would be punished. Like Charles has mm. played in my game pl enough times to have experienced the ricocheting arrow or the broken sword. <laughs> um, I that. And I I realized recently that that's awful. That sucks. I've actually yeah I I used to implement the similar thing. Or natural one might mean you like. God, I, it's kind of making me cringe to think about it now. I used to rule it like oh you accidentally hit a party member or you drop your sword. And I I hate that ruling now. I that's not fun or memorable. You've you like you said you just end up feeling stupid when you did nothing wrong as a player. You said I want to attack the kobold. The dice said fuck you, and then the DM said fuck you even more and said you hit your friend. It's like well okay man, I'm just I, trying to just trying to mm, fight. I run that a little differently. Oh. So if you crit fail with a weapon attack, um, if somebody one of your party members is within five feet of you. I will make them make a dexterity check to get out of the way. Mm -hmm. um, or if a ranged attack, if somebody, if a party member is in your direct line of sight, they also need to make a dexterity check to get out of the way. Only if you crit fail, though. See, I feel like, uh, since you can crit fail attack rolls, there's always an inherent 5% chance to miss, no matter if you're level yes. 20 and are wielding god-killing weapons. And I feel like automatically missing is enough of a punishment. That that that's just me. Because uh, think about it like this as well. Uh, this is what convinced me that this is a bad idea. And and of course your table, your rules, and if your players mm. are cool with it, that's great. Uh, but the thing that convinced me is that 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 rule uh, inordinately impacts martial players. Spellcasters don't make nearly as many. Uh, attack rules. They do have attack roll attacks, but most of the time they're going to, especially at higher levels, be throwing out fireballs, support yes. abilities, uh, buffing their friends, debuffing their allies, and forcing saves. Whereas mm -hmm. a martial character is probably going to be making an attack roll every single turn. Mm -hmm. um, spellcasters don't really have to worry about that critical failure stuff, whereas a martial character, that's especially as they gain more attacks, uh, are going to be uh, that 5% chance for fighter jumps up to a... Um, a 10% chance that they're going to hit it at level five. Uh, and you know, then 15% later, 20%. Yeah. Um, whereas, it's, you know, even if a spellcaster is making an attack roll, it's still just a 5%. And I realized that my God, I got, uh, you know, half my party's marshals, half my party's spellcasters. And, uh, even, even with, you know, fireballs being thrown around, my martial characters are dealing damage to their friends much more often and a higher rate than mm. my casters are. Um, and I feel like martial classes kind of get the short end of the stick a lot anyway. In yeah. In terms of like, I don't know, interesting combat options. So I that's that's what convinced me to stop doing it because I, you know, get, getting that natural one and failing automatically is already pretty brutal. Mm. Um, but uh, it, it's just, you know, especially brutal if your whole thing is you're a god in combat. You have <laughs> you've mastered the sword, mastered the bow, 5% chance you shoot your friend in the face. Love that. The other yeah. thing... <laughs> The other thing that like I think about, and again, not trying to dunk on you too hard, Tori, because your your table, your rules, go yeah. go off, queen. Um, Stop. <laughs> uh, I I guess like when I'm at my game, my number one goal is to maximize like the fun everyone has, right? Yes. And 
memorable moments lead to that. And I just struggle to think of anyone telling the epic story of the time you accidentally stabbed your friend. Well, actually, mm-hmm. I I can do that, and that's that's that, but it's never a you positive son of story. A bitch. I, I have well, tons. <laughs> t- I have tons of stories of of uh, my players accidentally hitting each other, and someone is always angry. Like not in game angry, like real angry. Um, oh. oh yeah. Oh, you know, actually, I I can think of a moment, Nathan. Yep. Mm. Um, I bet it's the same one. I probably is. There was some. There was some combat I was running with, uh, running in, in your campaign that you were running. One of the party members accidentally hit me with an arrow or sword or something. I don't remember what, but it was enough to actually put my character unconscious. I, IRL, was not really that upset because shit happens. I, I knew it was just literally mechanically an accident. But I ran with it in game because my character had just been knocked unconscious by an ally. So he was he basically gave the character shit like, uh, I don't remember exactly what, but basically like, you gotta learn to fight better, you dumb idiot <laughs> and unfortunately it like actually hurt that player's feelings and it uh, which is uh, yeah which is unfortunate um i just I, I struggle to think of like fun moments that come out of accidentally hitting other party members i view it one i don't usually in my party have a lot of martial characters hmm. um Two, I find that a lot of the times when the martial characters get really close to your your baddies, your spellcasters can be limited in what they use, um, because they might act. They have to. They have to be more careful and considerate about the spells they use, because they might accidentally hit those martial characters with the fifteen foot cube, with a wall of fire, with thunder wave. Like they need to act yeah. like think consistently all the time about where everybody is on the battlefield um and then also i don't just make it an automatic hit on the on the other players i only do it if they are in line of sight or within a certain amount of range and they need to make the dexterity saving throw um Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen often in my games. More often than not, my casting players hit my martial characters more than my martial characters ever hit my casting characters. And that is my way to even out that kind of that kind of give and give and take. I have had DMs and I absolutely hate it when if you crit fail, you hit a party member. It's max damage. I hate that. Oh, God. Ooh, gross. I Jeez. hate that so much. Uh, I've actually died. One of my PCs has died because of that. Um, yeah, that just seems like a good way to, like, teach your players, hey, don't eat, don't take a turn. Nope. You might you <laughs> Cower in fear. Go under yeah, full geez. cover. Yeah. Um, Even when I did use that rule, it would be like, um, usually I'd either roll a die or I'd have the player make a choice. It's like, oh, you're... Um, your blade goes wide, and you can see your friend in on the distance. Do you um, hold on? Do you let go of your weapon, or and sort of give them a little bit more control over what's going on? Yeah. Or I, or, or hell, even if they did even hit an ally, I'd just roll damage. It's it's it's, it's a weapon attack. Yeah. Why would it be Max? N- yeah, Ooh, no. Uh, he was just not a really awesome DM. Um, <laughs> but because of the fact that my 
my casting players, my casting uh, people at my table can hit my martial characters, I give my martial characters that same kind of, you need to be considerate about, like, maybe you could move over to the left by five feet, and you wouldn't be, like, that person wouldn't be in your, your arrow line anymore. Even though mm-hmm. you are elevated, if that martial character is directly in front of them, you would, like, in real actual combat, like, let's say you're playing a video game and you have friendly fire turned on. You could totally hit your your combat party members with friendly fire just because your aim was a little off. For mm-hmm. me, it's more realistic. But I understand why people don't like it. Yeah, no, I can definitely see that. One, one thing that I have actually been trying to sort of Um, remind myself to sort of give a similar thing is that bodies can give partial cover. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, usually I'm starting to, to make up for my uh, not using that rule anymore. I'll just give toss two AC onto a foe that's being shot at from melee range. Yeah. Um, Or no shot at with someone in melee. range. Yes. (laughs) Shooting at from melee range is disadvantage. Fun fact. Yeah. Speaking of uh, martial classes, I often find that I, I feel like it can be underwhelming to be a martial class. Fighters and barbarians, especially, mm. they don't have a lot they can like actually do in combat apart from "I would like to swing my sword, please." Uh, sure, barbarians can rage and they can tank, but really, like mechanically, utility. What can a barbarian do except smack stuff? Uh, there's and, the one guardian, uh, a s- ancestral guardian. Uh, when they rage, they have the little protectors around them that protects their sure. party. Love that. It's all about I, the subclass you pick. Sure, there's one of those in my party, and I th- the the first feature you get from that just means that uh, if creatures attack anything but you, they have disadvantage. So it just encourages you to be a tank. But again, like you aren't you aren't physically doing anything apart from I want to smack that guy, please. So, I mean, yeah. hang on. I haven't even talked about my rule yet, guys. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just addressing the issue. So, something I, I want, I implement to circumvent that is called shots. Mm. Called shots let you tar- like do a much more specific attack. Okay, I want to hit the guy's wrist to try to get him to drop his sword. I want to try to cut his leg, make him go slower. I don't have really like hard rules for like cause and effect for this. It's really up to the player, and then I will make a judgment call. But the bigger aspect is they can make a called shot for a specific attack they want to do, tell me what they're trying to do, and it imposes disadvantage on their own attack. Oh. I think that just gives barbarians a bit more creativity in how they are addressing the fight. And I'm aware that there is a fighter subclass um, battle master. Correct. I, think. I was going to bring it up. Yes, yeah. that has, has features like uh, disarm and trip attack. Currently, I don't have anyone in my party that is that, so I don't feel bad about implementing these rules at all. It would be mm. a little weirder if someone was that specific fighter archetype, because then it's stepping on their toes. Uh, but I still think there's more to be gained from letting anyone fight creatively. Yeah, I so that's kind of I've got mixed feelings on this one because I think I think you're right. I think there can be a little bit more to combat. Like called shots were a three five thing. Um, and I, I think that the Battlemaster class feature should be a universal thing. But that said, it is a class in the game, and I hesitate to 
just hand out class features to people that, that want to use them. Mm-hmm. Um, that would absolutely be definitely something that I would probably tell my party, um, uh, you know, before before the campaign starts as, hey, I'm doing this. Um, I understand that there's a class here that um, does this stuff. And if you're considering of thinking about playing it, I want you to know that you can probably do a lot of the stuff that it can do in my campaign just <laughs> by existing. Yeah. Mm. Um, I want you to know that if you pick it, I have to remove the general rule and you're hurting everyone else. So <laughs> <laughs> you're disappointing maybe, maybe not me that. my family. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, I definitely, I definitely like the spirit of the rule. Cause like I said, I think the battle masters, uh, um, what's it, what are they called? Tactics or uh, maneuvers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. uh, maneuvers should be a, a, a default thing. Um, yeah, at there's least a lot in some of capacity. Fun yes. stuff you can do with it. And even like mechanically, there's uses, obviously, but just like flavor wise, it's cool to think about like uh, a goading attack. Or I think there's one where like if they miss you, you then get to make a reaction attack. There's just, it just puts the battle into my head so much more vividly. Yes. I would love the players to be always thinking about that. It's on my mind because the barbarian that's in my party has complained to me a few times that, like, I just don't feel like there's anything I can do apart from hit a guy with my axe. One thing one, one thing I, I think people tend to overlook, which is, uh, actually, there was a Reddit post on this a while ago. I'm, I'm not rehashing it. I, I, I don't want it. But one, one powerful tool that people have at their disposal is the shove, uh, which can substitute it one, just one, of your attacks if you have multiple. Oh, really? Uh, Yep. If you have multi-attack, you can substitute one of those attacks to do a shove. And one thing you can do with your shove, if it succeeds, you can move him five feet back. Another thing you can do is knock him prone, mm-hmm. which means your second attack has advantage. And all attacks, melee attacks against this target until they get up, also have advantage. Mm. Yeah, so if you have other melee fighters in the group, that's pretty useful because then everyone's getting advantage. If it's just you, obviously you might as well just smack him anyway because you get two, rolling roll, the same number two attack of rolls. Yeah. But yeah, if you if you've got like four fighters, sure, just uh, insert gif of Green Lantern getting punched. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the uh, the 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 JoJo meme. Oh. The, the oh kicking yeah. Kicking the guy in the ground. Yeah. The back pretty, of drinking wine and then similar. He goes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, that that's raw. So that's we're not we're talking about today. Nope. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about critical hits. How do you guys whoop, do critical whoop. hits? Ooh, I have I have a thing for this. Um. I recent like literally as I'm prepping for this episode, I figured out how I wanted to do crits because I'd been thinking about it for a while. Um, this is not an original idea. I am using something I found online. The way I'm going to run crits going forward is if you crit, you roll maximum damage for oh. one roll of dice and then you roll an additional pair of dice. So, for example, if you mm-hmm. were to crit with a great sword, you would do two C- uh, that's a, a 2d6 of damage. You automatically do 12. That's the max on your 2d6. And then you roll two more d12. Excuse me. Whoa. D6. I was about to so, say. <laughs> no, no, no. Sorry. Yeah, so you, you automatically get maximum damage with your first roll of the dice. Mm. And then you roll the Again. additional. So the the range goes from being, what would it be? It would be 4 to 12. Yeah. Now the range is, I'm bad at math. 12 to 24. Bit. Yeah. Thank you. It, just, also it, it, it doesn't to the second to the second 2d6 yeah i mean the modifier oh. adds always um so it doesn't increase the maximum but it does raise the minimum because everyone knows it sucks to crit 
and then you roll two ones. It's like, well, fuck. What? What the? What's what, the, what point? the point? Yeah. Um, a lot of I'm realizing a lot of what I'm addressing with these rules is like making crits feel better or making that twenty feel better when it pops up on your dice. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, just raise the minimum you can do with a crit. I agree. So, like, one of the reasons that I don't like I don't like crit fails being an automatic failure is because a crit fail is supposed to be the worst thing that could happen. Um, mm. six A natural 20 should be the best thing that could happen. So I agree with the max damage on the dice, and I like the extra, the double, or two more rolls. I really, really like that. I'll probably start implementing that, because it should be the best you could possibly do. It's a natural yeah. 20. And there's still a, a small element of, like, maximizing that damage, right? Because you're still actually rolling mm -hmm. um, a set of, of dice, however much are applicable. So yeah. you still have to... There's an element of luck to it, but it, it does mean you're doing guaranteed more damage, which is yes. fine. I, 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 I will admit that um, I, I do like that rule, and I, I uh, most crit rules that I see rolling around, um, I generally like a lot. Uh, people do a good job coming up with those, and there's so many, which is why I wanted to talk about it. Mm -hmm. uh, admittedly, mine isn't that cool, but it's just sort of, I run it this way just because it's the way I've always done it. I just multiply everything by two. You just you mm -hmm. just double damage, modifiers included, sneak attack damage, dice included. Yep. Um, and I I it, I think it still has that potential to you roll that one uh, and you're dealing now. Uh, I mean, uh, you're dealing now like if you're like a rolling a da with a plus three, that's that's an eight. So it is you're still kind of shitty. But I think more <laughs> often than not, because you're multiplying the modifiers together, you're multiplying any sort of other dice that you're rolling together. You end up with a much bigger result. And I, it really, when you when you do roll well on it, or even roll average on it, it always feels awesome. I, I like that more than raw. I like uh, doubling the modifiers. Isn't, don't you already double all dice involved, though? Like, aren't snake attack, attack dice already doubled as per raw? I don't think so. Um, but then again, I haven't paid attention to crit rules in 5e because I've been doing this since 3.5, which ah. wouldn't double sneak attack damage. Um, as... as as I am aware, I, I believe the ruling is uh, you double weapon damage dice, or if you crit on a spell attack, you double the spell damage dice. Um, but I, I, that's no I, fun because like if you're a rogue and you're rolling and your all of your damage comes from your sneak attack, it's like well I roll an additional d4 because I hit with a dagger. That's fun, and I feel like rogues should be where sneak where criticals are the most impactful. Definitely. Mm. Um, for, for what it's worth, the exact wording is when you score a critical hit, you get to roll extra dice uh, extra dice for the attack's damage against the target. Roll all of the attack's damage dice twice and then add them together. Hmm. So it, that does seem to specify it's like any relevant. So smite dice, crit, uh, sneak attack dice. I, 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 I got the other interpretation out of that. It's the attack's damage dice, which the, the sneak attack damage dice is sneak attack damage dice. The dice is smite damage dice. Though it doesn't say weapon damage dice, though, and they, they are not shy to specify that. That's fair, so may, maybe that is the case, but um, that wasn't the case in 3.5 when I started using this. Yes. Um, and I, so I just good... didn't look up rules later. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely a good impl uh, implementation. Mm. Good thing to implement. Yeah. But that's it. Like I said, I, I know, um, you know you could still roll, roll low with this and feel not nearly as impactful. 
Yeah. Which I, I, I acknowledge, but uh, this is this is definitely a rule that I use just because I always have, which is not really a good reason. Yeah. <laughs> um, but nobody's complained about it to me yet, so and I and I like it because you know, when you roll that max damage on that sneak attack and deal like a hundred friggin' damage in one shot, then you know mm-hmm. what? You earned it. I mean, even with raw rules, critting is still good. You're you're just doubling your maximum. Yeah. That's that's always good. Uh, it's hardly a bad thing. The um I think the downside to the rule I talked about, raising the minimum, is that you the party is probably facing more nat twenties than they are dishing out nat twenties because you're usually fighting groups of your size, if not bigger. Mm. Um, so that is also increasing the total damage coming the way of the party. So it's a bit of a double-edged sword, but yeah. I think it's That's something it. you always got to keep in mind with crit rules in general is because opponents are critting too. Oh, yeah. yeah. D&D is all just gambling with swords. So I, I kind of like... <laughs> I, I don't mind... <laughs> I don't mind raising um, or implementing rules that have pluses and you know bonuses and cons to them yeah agreed um here's one oh that i've been implementing for this entire campaign i've been running if you are downed and you have to start making death saves you do those in secret and only tell me you yep. do not tell the yes. party yep i this do that too is absolutely so it feels like something that needs to be an actual rule because if if someone in the party goes down and then it comes back to the turn and they go, okay, I got a nat 20. That's two stabilizations. Everyone goes, oh, okay. Oh, no, they just kind of... Oh, that's true. They actually come back up. Okay, that's a bad example then. Whatever. If, if the party knows they have stabilized twice, uh, excuse me, they, they've passed two death saves, they're not going to be stressing about them. And you, <laughs> why would they be stressing about them? They got a sword through the chest and they're bleeding out. As far as you know, they could be dead. That's what I like. Like, if... You don't know if that if that character has rolled a natural one on their first go and they have two death saves already failed. They yeah. could be dead right now. You don't know. You have to wait till you either rush over to help them or the fight's even over and you get a chance to look at the body. They could have died four rounds ago. It just adds so much more stress and adds just so much more like tactical thinking that the party has to implement to go help that downed character. It's... I'm shocked this isn't like a raw rule, to be honest. I, I sometimes like to go a step further even. And after the second or third round, it depends. I mix it up to, to make it more interesting. I stop publicly asking the player for a death save. <laughs> oh, I love that. I, I, I DM it to him. Really fuck with them? I oh, I do good. something a little different. Um, If a character hits zero hit points from in my games, they don't go unconscious. They are wounded and dying and prone on the ground and bleeding out. I let mm-hmm. them m- have a movement speed of five feet to crawl away. Oh. And they can talk. Um, they cannot publicly announce if they failed or succeeded. Uh-huh. Um, if they succeed after three, they still go unconscious after those three turns. So the party doesn't know whether they're barely hanging on to life by a thread or... Or if they're dead on the ground. But this way, it lets the player feel like they're still part of the game um, mm-hmm. while they're dying. <laughs> um, it also it also solves a problem that I've 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 considered before, and, and it's that's dying words. Like when they do mm-hmm. die, 
if they died from death saves, they're already unconscious. Do they get yes. to have their, you know, to utter out their last, I always wanted to tell you. No, because they're unconscious. Yep. But yeah. like if, it if, solves if that you problem. Put, yeah, if you put them conscious during it and just sort of bleeding to death, you can still, like, on that last turn, you can have that dramatic moment as their friends hold them in their arms and as they, they sputter out their last request. <laughs> yeah, it's horrifying for the players, like, if they're too far away or if they literally yeah. can't get to them and they're begging for their life on the ground as they're dying. It's just trauma. <laughs> you know, uh... We're witnessing a birth of a new rule being implemented in my campaign. Oh. I'm no longer going to tell players they're unconscious because then you just sit there and do nothing. Yes, that is that is my biggest one. I want my players for as long as possible to be a part of the game. Yeah. And like, and what's more dramatic and, and interesting? Like, they get hit in the head and then they're out for a couple of rounds while they roll death saves. Or the mm -hmm. sword goes through the chest, they cough up blood and they fall to a knee and are just like, wheezing there. Yeah. Like, that's that's a lot more interesting. That Hell that yeah. is I do I hard rule you are not allowed to give off whether you are failing or succeeding yeah. your death saving throws. That is that is a hard one at my table of like not even not even I I'd say like not even hints like no. oh I'm dying. It's like oh I'm doing fine. No, no yeah. that shit. No. Because then if if they maybe they did fail all their saves, I obviously I think Tori you'd say the same thing. You give them some time to actually give out their last words, have some final interactions with the party. Yep. But then, like, if they did fail all and they are going to die and the party rushes over, then you can say, like, you've realized that the wounds are fatal. Yes. And they are not going to survive. At That's, yeah. Oh, they always have, a, after their last, sa after their last save, so technically they have four turns after they hit zero. Um, they'll have each save, and on their last one, the fourth turn, whether they succeeded or passed, our past is their turn to to say anything la left. Uh huh. Uh, the the last final words, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh man, the first time I did this, my party cried. Um, Damn. I had such a good player at my table, um, who was like he was just ripping these emotions out of out of my other players. It was so good. And from that moment on, I was like, this just needs, this is a standard role at my table. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's a great idea. Anything that adds more role play and, and drama and tension mm -hmm. in the same vein of falling on, well, not falling unconscious, but falling to zero hit points in battle. Um, I am not sure if I want to implement this, mm -hmm. but it, it's something I was thinking about. I, I find it a bit weird if in battle a character is popping, like going to zero hit points and get healed and com comes back up and zero hit points and comes back up. Mm. I've, I've seen fights where that happens and it kind of breaks my immersion a little bit. Yeah. If, if someone just keeps popping up and down, I kind of like the idea of every time you hit zero hit points and come back, you get a point of exhaustion. Yes. Agreed. It adds, you can't just be healed indefinitely. And it actually, I feel like being fucking fatally wounded should take a lot out of you yes um and you can't yeah you can't just afford to do that forever is it f five or six exhaustion points kills you outright Ooh. Yeah, i think five i think it's five yeah. yeah it's eventually fatal and even you know progressing up that sucks you get disadvantage on ability checks and attack rolls your speed Have is your move speed yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it gets rough after a while and but i feel that's like how if you've gone down be. yeah if you've gone down four times i don't care if the cleric's healing you you're no. having a rough go of it, buddy. <laughs> You're not having a good day. <laughs> You've got four swords in your chest. 
I also do lingering injuries. Ooh, I want to talk I, about I wanted this. to talk about this, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you hit spiel. zero hit points, lingering injury. I have different charts for them as well. Um, critical hits can result in a lingering injury, but that's a percentage chance. Uh, zero hit points, lingering injury. Like, that's a f- flat at my table. Um, do you have your own table? I like do. Your own, like, uh, like you homebrewed your own percentage yes. or, or chart? Cool. I Yeah, I went and borrowed and stole in the night <laughs> in a dark alley <laughs> from other tables um, just to help, like, to fit my game. This is excellent because I've got my basketball shorts on. I've got my sweatband on. Oh, no, no, don't I'm do about, it. I'm about to dunk on you because I hate lingering injuries. Mine aren't, <laughs> mine are like migraines, nerve damage. Mm. Um, I'm not a big fan of removing body parts. Okay. I we hate might be on the that. same page then. Because um, most, most of the charts I've seen are like, uh, it breaks it down like the, the kind of injuries based on the kind of damage that took you out. It's like acid, you lose both your eyes. Fire, nope. you lose your arm. It's like th- that just so easily leads to a death spri- spiral as far as I can tell. Yes. And maybe that'd be fun for like a one shot where you mm-hmm. really want things to be serious. But I don't want to run a campaign where by the end the party are all paraplegics. <laughs> just like, wheeling around in their tactical wheelchairs. I- like, I, I think it could be fun if, like, for big story moments, a character loses an eye or an arm. But even then, I'd, I'd want the option for them to get, like, you know, a robot arm, because that's cool. Yes. Um, But if they're just, like, slowly getting shittier, that doesn't feel good. No. I feel like that's, like, a holdover from some, like, old, like, first edition level stuff where yes. retiring characters or dying characters was expected. Yes. And so, like, that's sort of like that's a, that's a rule that was put in place. I think more for DMs running that sort of style of game, where it's like, well, mm-hmm. um, you know, you lost both your arms, buddy. It's, it's time, <laughs> to, time to you know take your gold and go home. Um, and then they roll up another character, which you know, if that's the kind of game you run, that's great. But for like long running story based campaigns that I'm yeah. sure we're all we're all yeah. doing, that's not exactly feasible (laughs) i'd much rather see a very satisfying resolution to a character's arc rather than i gotta retire because i lost my arms yeah no mine are that's not a fun resolution to a story permanent permanent injuries for me are scars Hmm. um like let's say acid you'll have small part like pockmark scars on whatever part of your body the acid hit um Hmm. Which can be fixed. You're playing D&D. It's magic. <laughs> um, yeah. Stuff can be removed. Um, unless the player, like, talks to me and goes, yeah, I, I really kind of wanted to lose my eye. Or, like, or they'll talk to me beforehand of, like, I am cool with these types of bodily injuries. Yeah. Then I'm okay with it. I do not like removing a player's autonomy. Um that feels like the crappiest thing I can do as a DM of like, oh, you don't have eyes, so you have <laughs> disadvantage of on all perception checks from here until the end of time until you grow your like, yeah, auto fail. They uh, they can still they can still hear they, they can, can still they hear got ears and they can still <laughs> smell. <laughs> I'm coming for that next. <laughs> Going for the don't nose. get too attached to your nose, buddy. Um, oh God. But I like it. Currently, one of my characters has a lingering injury. Oh, yeah? Yeah, you're playing with her. Oh, shit. 
Uh-huh. Is it did she lose her her sense of empathy? Shut and compassion? F- shut up. <laughs> <laughs> her um, sense of humor? Excuse me, I, never had I one. might I might need to reverse my dunk on you. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a a, knu- a knud a knud because <laughs> a knud a reverse dunk because I think I actually agree with your rulings. The, the lingering injuries I had seen implemented were all pretty severe, mm-hmm. but I have in- implemented smaller ones, kind of in the same vein you're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's mostly just for like flavor. Um, in a previous campaign. Players were fighting an Abolith that managed to mind control the Barbarian, mm-hmm. who then crit and took out the the Warlock. Um, you know, took him to zero hit points. So after that fight wrapped up and he was healed, I talked about how he still had a huge, massive scar, like, um, on his neck going down to his chest. And oh. that, but that just became like a, you know, a feature of the character. Like, it was just sort of a memory of that battle. I didn't impose anything mechanical for it. I quite often I like thinking about these um these injuries that come about from hitting zero hit points, kind of like how Fable implemented them. Mm. I don't know if the if two and three did it, but in one, when you would die, you would respawn, and then you had a scar somewhere on your body. Yes, two did and, that as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. I really really like that. Like then I rip my shirt off, and I can just see all these scars on me, and you know they're all they're usually just like slashes. But in D and D, I kind of like the idea of being able to look and like remember where how you got all these injuries, right? Like, oh, I lost my finger from that door. I have that scar on my neck. As long as they're not like too debilitating. One way that I've I've, I've had it done, um, and this was a specific, more niche specific circumstance, was I've I've talked about my my rogue warlock Walter, uh, the, uh, who died at level one recently. Um, <laughs> Uh, and he he ended up with a lingering injury after that because basically what happened is our warlock asked uh, her patron say can you do anything about this um, and the patron came to my warlock and said I'll I'll bring you back to life but you got to give me something yep uh, and so I was given the choice of remaining dead uh, or coming back and offering part of myself to this this entity and and Walter chose his eye which mm. I thought would be which ended up turning into a weird socket magic eye shit that he his powers are now sourced from, um, and he do, he doesn't suffer any like perception penalties or anything like that from it, um, mm-hmm. which I, I think you know losing one eye you probably should, but uh, I don't see any problem not imposing that. And I could have like chosen like my hand, or I I, I just realized now one thing it would have been it's like you know ripping out my heart maybe. Uh, <laughs> That'd be that'd be edgy as fuck. Out of uh, edge. But I, I think I think that's a, a fun way to do it, and that's like I said, pretty niche and specific. It has it requires a deal with an eldritch entity, but I mean that that could be like potentially like maybe maybe you throw a real ass lingering in, injury on them, not from uh, a zero hit points, but straight death. Like maybe Just, they can come back from death with with part of themselves missing if they don't have any other forms of resurrection. There's mm. definitely a lot of fun to be had from like minor. Well, losing your eye is not a minor injury, but That's not serious one. like uh, injuries without serious mechanical punishments because you, that's such a cool story that you have for that character now it's you didn't come to the table with the character of the robot eye everyone saw what happened that led to you having this eye there's an actual story there that you played out and that's so much that's just so interesting to live through it yeah i think lingering injuries work best when there's buy-in at the table and yeah. when you know uh there's 
it was not forced on a player or maybe it was forced on them because the other option was death but uh, um sort of I, I had the power to, to sort of tell that story in my own way yeah. yeah i do have to say i have quit a game because the dm didn't discuss with us this kind of stuff like you can lose body parts you can do this um i had a player drop to zero hit points not from a critical hit just dropped to zero hit points and uh he lost his eye because of it mm-hmm. and it was never discussed with me from the dm and he like i just rolled up like to new session the next day and he's like oh by the way you've you've lost your right eye uh clove <laughs> lost his right eye and i was like what are you talking about and he's like, I rolled for you on the uh, the lingering injury table. Yikes. And, um... I did that without discussion. Yeah. Yeah. I played when that game, and I was so upset. I ended up retiring my character and try Because I didn't like it. Um, it didn't fit my character. It didn't fit what he was going for. He had extreme OCD. So... <laughs> um, yeah. It didn't... It wasn't what I envisioned for him. Mm-hmm. And the DM didn't discuss it with me when I tried to go like, wait, hold on, this didn't come from a nat 20. This came from him dropping to zero hit points from a spell. Um, What was th- I can't even remember the spell now, but it would have nothing to do with his actual eye. And uh, yeah. the DM was like, tough titties. This is my table. Yeah, that that's why I don't want to implement shit like this. I feel like by the end of the campaign, you're going to end up like the dude from Looper. Stop. We all seem looper. Uh, but that is yeah. why that is why I only do stuff without talking and discussing it with my players first. I only mm. do lighter stuff. I do not take yeah. take away body parts. I I can't take away body parts because of discussion that. Discussion is key. Yes. This, this having it, a clear discussion with your players and understanding like if they don't want to lose a body part, do not take it away from them. Mm-hmm. There's a couple things that bother me of that story because, like, a obviously he didn't discuss it at all. He just kind of ripped your eye out, which sucks. Yeah. B, the reveal should be more dramatic than next session. By the way, you lost your eye. Yeah. Describe it in the moment, dude. Yeah. Uh, third, third. I think a fun aspect. <laughs> it sound, might sound weird to say losing body parts could be fun, but Yay. I think the interesting aspect is kind of like what Nathan was saying, where I think there should be an option to replace it. Because who doesn't want to have a robot arm or eyeball or something? Mm-hmm. I should note Walter doesn't have like a robot eye. It's some weird eldritch abomination source of power shit. Even better. It's 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 so <laughs> edgy and wonderful, and I love it. No, I. The uh, Nathan, you were you were part of uh, a campaign where one of the players lost a limb. I remember, and that was entirely their fault, and they <laughs> I would have killed them. I don't. I don't believe I've told this story on the podcast. The The general setting was that there was a fungus that was consuming the world. And the campaign started on the last con- to- uh, continent that was free from this fungus. Um, a lot of the parties were like refugees or a few actually lived in the city. Campaign session one kicks off with a giant ship. And I mean a ship piloted by giants crashing Ooh. into the crashing into the city and it's covered in fungus and it immediately starts spreading um the party and other members of the city start trying to like put up a barrier to prevent it fire kind of stops it salt kind of stops it but it still seems to be spreading and then the druid also thinks to check the ocean and finds it spreading on the bottom of the ocean 
Oh. They go, oh, fuck. Okay. So the city is like kind of freaking out. The party decides to all retire for the evening and meet back up again. Most of the party goes to taverns or their homes. The druid decides to sleep on the beach. Mm-mm. The, the druid who, with their own eyeballs, looked at the bottom of the ocean and saw that it was growing. And not, like, far out of the ocean. Like, uncomfortably yeah. close bottom of the ocean. Like, 50 feet away. <laughs> so when the morning comes around and the party is all meeting up in the town square where they were supposed to meet, the druid's not there. Yep. <laughs> and everyone's like, uh, where did we last see them? They, they It clicks and they all rush down to the beach where the fungus has grown out of the ocean and is starting to consume the druid and it's gotten up like half of one of their legs. I think they were still asleep too. So they, were, they, they freak out and start yelling and they, they hold him down while they start trying to amputate his leg. Uh, for I had them do, I believe, a medical check oh, to get the leg that. off. Which failed several times. N- natural one. Oh, natural one so instead that. of uh, so immediately he like only gets like halfway through the leg and you're just screaming in pain uh-huh. uh I, I i had the reel back again i believe someone like um put the axe on the leg directly mm. and then someone brought a hammer above it and they slammed down again natural one <laughs> no i the the fungus had only grown to like just under the knee but with a, with two natural ones, it just, the axe or the, the hammer shattered the kneecap, which was totally fine, but is now completely shattered. And then at that point, the leg was so mangled, they just kind of ripped it apart. So going forward, that druid did not have a leg. Um, pretty, I think someone in the party had the ability to make prosthetic limbs, actually, by like complete coincidence. Or maybe it was just the ability to make magic wood. I don't remember, but they, they gave them a peg leg. And I I don't know if I would still do this now. I, I believe I, like, knocked off a bit of their speed or gave them difficulty with dexterity checks. Because having a peg leg... Oops, I just unplugged my headphones. This is breaking my heart, by the way. Uh, I feel like having a peg leg should impose something. I, I, I'm more on the fence about it now because I feel like the Roll lesson is still learned. I feel like the lesson is still learned from losing a leg and you still have the fun like flavor of being a that's a weird I don't know if I should say the fun flavor of being an amputee but you know what I mean it was an interesting moment it was also fun because as a druid uh, every um, animal form they took from that also was missing a limb so I think they they wanted to be a horse at some point but they only had three legs oh my (laughs) time to take them out back oh man that's horrible. I, I, I've talked to Nathan about this a lot. I think I would have been justified in just outright killing that player. Oh, I, I, I would have. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, it was session on one, the beach. though. It was session one. I didn't want to just kill them already. I, I feel like I put the fear of God in them by taking their leg. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I, I think I now probably would have done the same thing you did. I, I think I used to take pride in being merciless as a DM, but I think I mellowed out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um... I, at, at the time, that druid would absolutely have died if, if, that, if that were my table. You were I, you, you showed much more more uh, uh, grace and, 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 and mercy than I ever could have ever would have. I always I just always think of like what would make the better story, and I don't think it's in, it's as interesting to say. And then the fungus was all, all over him and he died. Um, it, num, I num, think num. that character has so much more potential if they lose a leg and then they spend the rest of the campaign without a leg because of their actions it's there's just more there than dying early especially 
because it's session one. Yeah. And that's sort of like exactly why I would have, I, I, I now, in, you know, uh, years later, would probably take the same course of action. Mm-hmm. That was a long story. I apologize, but it's, it's probably relevant. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Basically, all I've got left are so like a couple niche rules that maybe look will prompt like Ooh. two minute discussions each. Oh, yeah. Mm. But what you got? All right. Short rest. Ooh, 30 short minutes rest. instead of an, in like two hours. Yes. Uh, yeah. Even even beyond that, I think, I'm think i thinking about one where uh, do like a, a what, is, what, what would we call it? Like a, a breather rest, which is mm-hmm. uh, after any combat encounter, uh, you can uh, take a breather to use one of your hit die. 15 minutes. Mm. Oh, I kind of like that. And then I'd I- probably bump... Uh, my short rest up to like an hour instead. To... Is it the breather? Is that the only thing you get from it? Using yeah. Short, uh, hit die. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and like song of rest wouldn't work on it or anything. It would just be you can you can pop one hit die if you if you need it. You're spending 15 minutes to rest. If you need anything more than that, you're going to need to take an hour. But that sort of gives players an opportunity to like if they're in the heart of the the enemy fortress, still undetected, but they desperately mm-hmm. need some hit points. They can they can just get it right there and move on because uh, um, I kind of like that too. I feel like it's really rare for you to use all your hit die during any given trek of, of playing. Yes. You haven't played in my games and what have you. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I guess not. That sounds brutal. I don't like <laughs> the way you the games, phrased that. <laughs> the games I play in and run, it, it's rare to get really under like half your hit die. Maybe I should start mm. stabbing people more. I like that, I like that though, because recently i've been thinking of health more as like stamina yes because i think it's weird to have every hit if afflicted on a on a character be an actual strike of a sword be an actual arrow hitting them they're, we're not like they're strong but you're usually not superhuman you're not going to get riddled with eight arrows and then sleep for eight hours and be 100 percent fine yes i, I much prefer me. to think of it like i've said this before i think but like Every reduction of health is like a near hit, and the only thing that's an actual hit is when you hit zero. Um, I would make exceptions here and there, like critical hits are probably an actual stab, or in general, if if it just makes sense for an arrow to actually graze them or actually hit them to add some tension, sure. But for the most part, they're near misses. Mm. Yeah, I, I get yeah. real tired of saying in the uh, oh, in the 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 sword he catches you in the uh, shoulder. Yeah. Or it grazes your uh, arm. Well, see, what I like doing um, is I I will call on my players to describe their own reactions to the fight. I I like this. This is kind of sort of a rule. It's more for flavor. It just gives them more to do even outside their own turn. So if the Nola is swinging a sword at them, and regardless of if it hits or misses, I will usually call on the player to say, like, how do you respond to the sword swinging towards you? And then they can say, like, they they just smash it away with their shield. They duck. It's not a lot, but it lets them, like, stay invested in what their character is doing in the fight, even outside of their own turn. Yeah, immersion. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't like it when combats become, I roll. Okay, I hit. Okay, your turn. Okay, I... I shoot my arrow. Okay, yeah. that hits. Okay, your turn. I oh, I hate that. Yeah. Yeah. Even even when uh like even even though I don't do the ask the players how they respond, I make a, a like a concerted effort as a DM to always narrate everything that happens. Yeah. Makes things take a little bit longer, but it also doesn't devolve into hit five damage. Your turn. Hit. Yep. Three damage. It's sort of like oh, and the kobold swings its sword, and you just in time just 
barely catch it with your shield, but with its mm-hmm. second attack, it reaches out with its other blade and catches you and grazes you along the side, and it just makes things a lot more interesting. So much, so much more better. Yeah. Agreed. I, I think that's how I narrate my combat. You just had a combat with me, Charles. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I'm, I'm a little rusty, because I, I haven't DM'd in a while, but like that's my preferred style. No, it was good. There's there's still some visuals from that from that fight that stick with me. You talked about how like, when that when the king swung his sword at us, the acid shit spread from it and hit all our clothes and singed us. Like that stuck out in my mind a lot more than if you had been like, he uses his ability. Um, you take six acid damage. No, when I like <laughs> when I play D and D, I'm imagining it like a oh, movie. Um. So I want to be as descriptive as possible. Big same. I will often also, like, after a round or maybe a couple rounds, I will, like, recap what happened. Ooh, I especially, like Especially, Especially if, like, a series of actions back-to-back were interesting and kind of made for just an inherently interesting narrative, a little mini-narrative. Highlight if reel. Tra- yeah, <laughs> if, if characters are trading blows or dodging or just, like... I will recap the last few rounds um, just to remind everyone the cool shit that's going on. Yeah, I, I like that. I might implement that. It's fun. Um, and, and sometimes after a whole combat, but that can be a lot to try to remember. Yes. One of my things, uh, one of my other house rules, I require all of my characters to have an alignment. However, mm-hmm. it's a guideline not a rule book. Yeah. Um, it's a description, not a definition. Yes. But it is something that I... Requ- it's a core. Like, it's a core part of who that person is. Not every mm-hmm. DM requires it. And I don't think it's a raw rule that you have to have an alignment, but you have to have one at my table. Is this a grandfathered thing in from previous editions? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I was like, I think I like. It, I don't think it's required in Five E, but I remember it being an actual like standing pillar. Yeah, it's it's on the sheet because it was on the sheet last edition. Is yeah, it doesn't yeah. do anything. Yeah. There were a lot of abilities that like actually affected you depending on what alignment you were. Mm-hmm. And there, there's some holdover like detect good and evil. And... Those Dinova don't even use your alignment this edition. Nope. Oh well, fuck they detect me, they detect fiends, celestials, fey, undead. Oh, that's true. That's true. Um, yep. Things that would typically have those alignments, but like uh, not an evil humanoid. Yeah. I think I think alignments. We've I mean we have a whole episode about alignment. I think it's a uh, a good tool, especially for newer players, but ultimately just kind of a guideline. It gives you a good starting point. Yes. Um, for characters and personalities. I, Nathan, you talked about a uh, shortening rest. Yes. I don't implement this, but it's something I've thought about is doing the exact opposite. Gritty realism. Oh. Longer rests. Um, Short rests to a long, night. Long rests long. to a week. Yeah, literally. No fun allowed. Well, oh see, my God. I, I don't think, I don't think <laughs> this is inherently bad. Even though I don't think I'll implement it, I don't think it's so bad. It, you know, it, it really de- depends on your table. It definitely makes it more realistic. Um, I already talked about how like I view health more like stamina, so you're not getting riddled with arrows every fight. But if you are running your combat like that, it gets really weird to just sleep it off, and you're a hundred percent okay. One good nights of sleep, night of sleep, is so weird. It it just feels very much like video game mechanic. I I clicked on the bed and I feel good now. Um, I don't mind 
the idea of taking like a week to rest up it makes fights seem more serious i think it adds a bit more stakes Ooh. i do think if you if you're going to implement that there's a few other tweaks you should do yeah, the which, encounter day needs a dramatic change to make realism work yeah I, I also think that like i like the idea of if you're doing this you can tweak pacing for the game in general so you uh, usually when when we think about fifth edition and even how i run it is you're seeing every waking second of the characters' lives for the most part. There might be times where you like skip a day or skip a few days of traveling, but I wouldn't mind doing that more often. You just get to have more sort of like cinematic um, edits, basically. Cut a week ahead, cut a month ahead. If, oh, if, dude, they've, if they've got dude. a lot of, if the party has a lot of planning they're doing, they're getting ready for a heist, cut to two months ahead. Why not? Like, it, it would feel more like. I don't know, like a, a narrative story playing out in broader chunks rather Have than... Have we done a downtime episode yet? Uh, no, we should, though. We should do a downtime episode because I have a lot to say on this topic and uh, we're already at an hour. We this are at true. an hour. Uh, I have a couple more rules I kind of want to talk about a little bit. I, I assume we're going long today. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep but going. But yeah, I, I, I don't mind the the idea of it being a little bit longer. I think it makes the idea of resting from grievous injuries make a lot more sense than taking eight hours of sleep. Yeah. I would agree. Uh, I think the only reason I don't do anything like that is because I would have to uh, dramatically, I think, um, change the pacing of my game and, and the encounter schedule. Uh, uh -huh. Dungeons suddenly become... Um, like, you can't really do a... And we've, we've talked about dungeons before, and I don't think anybody here really does the traditional dungeon uh -huh. uh, other than me. But, like, I wouldn't be able to do that in Gritty Realism because I already have players that struggle to think, ah, can we take a long rest down here? Which is exactly what I want it to be. It's like, if, you, if you're thinking you're in a place where you need to take a long rest in a dungeon, that needs to be a discussion. That needs to be a difficult decision. And, yes. Um, and if suddenly a long rest becomes a week, then... That you becomes want to thing move it's in like, here. Yeah, that, that <laughs> becomes the thing where it's like, all right, we have to leave and go back to town and heal up before we can try it again. And if yeah. you do that, the dungeon's going to reset. The boss is going to find out. They're going to. It, it just it becomes boss a lot more might complicated. Leave. Yeah. Exactly. Like, it, it it you'd have to tweak a lot, and I feel like what we've talked about just kind of health and stamina addresses a lot of these issues already. Yeah. The one other sn snag that i i don't know i've been thinking about is pacing in D, D in general is kind of weird um this isn't like a huge issue but in the campaign i'm running it's been running for over a year now but the party has only known each other for like a little over a month whoa i guess that's just D, &D. that's just gonna happen in D, D, and i could do more time skips but it's something that's always irked me a little bit and it, it means my own fault that i don't do month-long time skips when i could mm -hmm. uh but it's, it's always a, even in strahd we've i mean we've been playing in a know, year yeah pretty much a year and our characters have known each other i know you have a new character now but the party has known each other three weeks maybe barely barely it's not a huge yeah. issue uh Conflict it's just to uh, build strong bonds it but that's, that's true yeah that's one of the things like my other character before i before things happened um, didn't have a hard bond with the party because it had been two weeks. It yeah. hadn't even been two weeks. Like, this actually got brought up in-game of, like, mm -hmm. of course I don't trust you. It's been 11 days. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for me as a as a player, it's hard for it was harder for me to keep that disconnect because it had been, like, nine months at that point. Yeah. 
And it's like, I would I, like, I want to trust him, but my character wouldn't. It's realistically been 11 days. <laughs> yeah, I usually just accept that, uh, you know, we're here to be a party and get along. I'm just going to start trusting people. Because mm. at a certain point, it does get hard to like. Keep at that separation. Me, yeah. Yeah, to keep saying, oh, I don't know you people. It's like, but I do, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I've like, spent, uh, Charles has been in games like this. I've, I've, I've done, I've played games where like the entire crux of the campaign and we're you know playing together for up to a year at that point is oh we can't trust each other and i'm just sitting here sort of like i'm trying to tell a story i'm trying yeah. to uh you know build like have like but all all, all that is happening is a, is a party of five people that can't seem to put their differences behind each other this is not the game i want to play correct um, you just gotta get past it at some point mm-hmm. yeah that's that's and that's where i i i used to be big into the whole party conflict thing but i think you gotta earn that just yes. throwing that down at the be- at the first session doesn't really work because then suddenly oh now the players will never trust the characters will never trust each other. I think it's uh-huh. a lot more fun to build these those bonds of trust yes. and then put something in the middle that challenges them. I yes. think that's much more interesting and much more fun to see. Yeah. 